I want to welcome everyone here. I'll lower this quite a bit. Welcome everyone here and everyone who's listening. I'm happy to be praising God. I hope you are happy to be praising God. We're going to be Luke 12 to be our main passage this morning. Luke 12. We're going to continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. And as we're praising God, we're building each other up. I hope that we're doing it with an eternal mindset. Because that is what's going to make this time and our effort meaningful. So if you have an eternal mindset, and that's what we're talking about this morning, is what that means for us. In Luke 12, it could be divided into two sections, just like the previous chapter, where we have the first half, Jesus is speaking about the antithesis of the opposite of an eternal perspective. That is worry and fear. And then Jesus, he shifts gears and he talks about how we cultivate and why we should have an eternal perspective. And of course, we read this chapter and there's a lot of familiar lines from Jesus. But in the context, Luke is trying to convey to us why it's so important to think eternally. Jesus in Luke 12 really tries to get at the human heart. That is, what do we find meaningful? What do we feel is valuable? What is it that we're afraid of? And so on and so on. But when it comes to that first half, Jesus breaks it down for us. Look, these are the things that you do not want to do. In verses 1 through 34, he tells us nine times, do not worry, do not be afraid, do not concern yourself, do not be anxious. Seven of those times are directly toward his audience. He really wants this point to stick. And throughout this chapter, we see fear and worry as a driving force for so many people in their life and the things that they find valuable. And Jesus says, we'll just go down the line, look at verse 4. He says, I tell you, my friend, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. In verse 7, he says, in fact, Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And verse 11, But when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how you should make your defense or what you should say. In verse 22, Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry. Do not worry about your life and what you will eat or about your body and what you'll wear. And he says something similar in verse 29 saying, do not be overly concerned about what you will eat or what you will drink. And again, do not worry about such things. In verse 32, he really wants this point to stick. Do you get the point? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father is well pleased to give you the kingdom. What we find is that our worries and our concerns and what we're afraid of are often main drivers and motivations in our life. And I'm not saying it's wrong to worry or to be concerned. There are times where that is absolutely appropriate. But the real concern is really, the real issue is what is behind those worries and those fears. Jesus encourages us in this passage, I want you to have a spiritual mindset. Does that mean we hate the physical and we get rid of what is physical and we demonize this world? No, that's not what it's saying. In fact, the answer to what it means to have a spiritual mindset means that I'm going to take care of what is physical. I'm going to take care of what God has given me, striving and working for his kingdom. 
And so all of this is summed up in one phrase here that Jesus gives in verses 13 through 21. When he says, look, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brothers to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Sometimes our mind is easily consumed with thoughts about how others have more than we do. And that's an easy trap to fall into, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can easily make that mistake. And Jesus plainly says there, look, life is so much more than just the accumulation of these things and the abundance of stuff. And yet this world values us and puts worth on us by how much we have. And even as Christians, we can think this way. We can think, well, man, I can't do as much good as this person over here because I don't have as many things as that person as that person, and that brother and sister in Christ. And that's a lie that we tell ourselves. That's dependence on the wrong thing. That's the wrong focus. That is, that's not a spiritual mindset at all. And so Jesus uses this next story in this parable to take all the do nots, do not worry, do not be concerned with it, take it as and use it as an example of what we do not do. This is how we should not act. And it provides really the entire context of this chapter and the flow, starting with verses 16 through 21. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This man had some serious problems. But his biggest problem was that he didn't have an eternal mindset. An eternal mindset is not just believing in God and believing in eternity. So many people believe and do nothing. That's not what we're talking about here. It's actually acting like this life is for eternity with God. It's realizing that even in the small things, there is eternal impact. This man, he had worry, he had fear, driving him in order to store up all his possessions for himself. And the problem wasn't his possessions or his things or that he built storehouses here. The problem was that it was his heart. It was his mindset. Look at verses 18 and 19 again. What does he say? He says, my grain, my goods, my soul, and so I'm going to, I will relax and eat and drink and be merry. Sounds like the American dream, but it's the American dream with the wrong heart, with heart issues. This man had no fear for God. He had all pride in himself and his own well-being. Verse 17, when he thought, he thought about how everything could benefit him. How can I benefit? Not, hmm, how could I benefit others? You see, without an eternal mindset, his blessings created an eternal problem. 
And that's an issue in our life. The man here was afraid to lose everything. His worry was in the value of his things. His concern was about how much he could keep and how much he could relax. There was no concern for God. There was no concern for others. There was no concern for his neighbors or to to serve. And you think about that life and what kind of legacy is that? And what does God say to all of this? In verse 20, he says, you fool, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. It's demanded back. Let that sink in for a little bit. Let that settle in. Whose life is this, really? It's God's. An eternal mindset says this life is not my own. It's not my own. And we talked about this a few lessons ago, about what it means to deny yourself. That is to deny ownership of your life. It's no longer yours. It's God. That's this idea in practice. When it's demanded, we should be ready. And for this story here, it's demanded. and It's demanded that very night. An eternal perspective sees this life as always demanded. The question really is just when? When we live for God, we don't have to have that concern because we live like God owns our life. A part of being a Christian is being ready when God is ready. Look at verses 20 and 21. That's another issue here where God asks, what was the point of your life? He looks at all the things that you've gathered, all the things that you have, and he says, look, whose will all of this be, God says? You have all these things, all these goods, but you're not rich toward what? You're not rich toward me, toward God. You don't have an eternal mindset. And as a consequence, you've now wasted your life. Don't waste your life because you had the wrong mindset. And that's why Jesus says what he says to his disciples here in verse 4. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. An eternal perspective is fearing God, not man. It's realizing that everything in this life has this spiritual undertone about it. If you're going to fear anything, fear the one that has eternal power and authority over your soul. Because hell is a place for those who live without an eternal perspective. It's a place for those who can't see an eternity with God as a possibility. It's for those who refuse to live for God in everything that they do. Don't live that life. But there should be nothing to fear. Because God values us. He values us more than anything in his creation. You're of more value than the sparrows, he says. And what do sparrows do, right? They lay eggs, they fly, they die. Really no different than what we saw from the rich fool in that parable. But God knows you intimately. He knows every hair on your head. He knows, that means he knows every struggle, every worry, every care and concern. And Jesus says, I know what you're going through. I know what you're going through. 
and not be afraid. In verse 22, do not be anxious about your life and what you'll eat, nor about your body and what you'll put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Distractions like this are the opposite of an eternal perspective. They keep us from doing good. They keep us from living after the righteousness of God. And that's a problem. Because the rich fool here, he was worried. He was worried about his blessings and what to do with his blessings. In the same way, maybe we're worried about what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. He was distracted from doing good. See, Satan doesn't have to run you dry to destroy you. He just has to change your aim. Our aim and our focus should be on the welfare of others and our loyalty to God. That is an eternal perspective. And that's where we shift gears here and we look at the second half. It's like, okay, well now I realize that there's more to life than food and clothing. I can find meaning in life. What is the point here? How do I cultivate this eternal perspective? And that's when Jesus says in verses 30 through 32, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. An eternal perspective is seeking God's kingdom. That's what the rich fool should have done, but he didn't do that. And so when God demands your life, And he says, look, at all the things, whose are these going to be? Of all the things that you've gathered and that you have, whose are they going to be? It should be for the benefit of God's people, which God freely gives to us. You see, an eternal perspective should create within us a desire for stewardship, to take care of what God has given us. And that includes our life and the life of others. An eternal perspective cultivates within us a desire to do what is godly. And Jesus gives us a very extreme example. He says, look, this is what the the rich fool should have done in verse 33. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's a parallel passage to Matthew 6, 19 through 21. You can compare what's in your Bibles in Luke 12 with Matthew on the screen that says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For there your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God gives such a beautiful depiction here of heaven, in a way. An eternal perspective sees heaven the way that Jesus is describing it here. I know we think of heaven and we think of that place we go after we die. But Jesus wants you to take these verses and think of heaven in this way here. It's a storage place. 
And what we're doing is we are storing up for ourselves an eternity with God. And when you think of it that way, it makes everything else so much more meaningful. It makes the promises that he's given us more meaningful, that we have salvation, that we will be with him. It makes the resurrection more meaningful. It makes our relationships more meaningful and our relationship with God. It tells us that what's more important is what we do rather than what we have. And so you might be wondering, okay, then, then how do I, what am I storing up? What am I storing up in, the, in heaven here? And that's when Jesus says, look at verses 35 to 36. It's the opposite of the rich fool stored up. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from their wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Storing up treasure in heaven is getting up, getting dressed, ready for action, ready for service. Other versions say service instead of action. But God wants service or action there in verse 35. We are storing up deeds of service. Passages like 1 Peter 4.10 come to mind. That says, as each of you received a gift, what do we do? Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh that is sin, but through love serve one another. God's talking about meaningful action, not building larger storehouses for our possessions. Do you know how much good that man could have done with all those, those things for God's people? But he chose to keep all of that for himself. Again, God wants service and action. A heart of service and action has an eternal perspective on life. And that's really with any relationship if we think about it. Whether it be our spouse or a friendship, we want that person to have a heart of service and action. No one, that's for anyone, no one wants a friendship that's, you know, thinks only about themselves and that's selfish. That doesn't benefit anyone. I think of that rich fool and all the things that he had and his mindset, that these are my goods and I'm going to relax and eat and drink and be merry. How lonely that life sounded. Service and action keeps those, that, that lamp burning, as it says in verse 35, keeps our life fervent. Service stores up treasure in heaven. Service and action tells God, this is what I'm all about. And Colossians 3 really says it best. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says that whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Fear God, not man. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance of your reward. Store up for yourselves treasures where your heart is. Your treasure will be as also because you're serving the Lord Christ, it says there. A servant should take care of what God has created, what God has given. A servant is what God is looking for in his kingdom. So that we can be the person that we read in verse 36. Jesus says, I want you to be this person. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. 
Live your life like a person who's waiting because you have an eternal perspective. You're waiting for your master. I remember when I was a, when I was a kid and my parents would go out and they would leave us, us kids here at the house and they would say, okay, look, I'm going to leave you, but the only rule is, is that you clean the house, make sure the house is clean before we get back. would say, okay, yes, yes, mom, yes, dad, we'll do that. And as soon as the door is shut and we hear the car pull out of the driveway and we look down the street and the car's out of view, the Xbox turns on and we goof around, we mess around, we don't clean at all until we hear that car, right? Pull right back in the driveway and then, like a nice well-oiled machine, all of us are grabbing as much as we can, trying to clean a house. We're all frantic. And I'm sure my parents saw through that illusion of what was clean. But that's sometimes how we can live our life. I'll serve. I'll be ready just at the very last minute. That's when I'll serve. That's when I'll be ready. It's not like God is against fun. Honestly, if we had clean first, we probably would have been rewarded with more Xbox time anyway. But we don't wait last minute because we serve God and God loves us. And Jesus tells us in verse 37, this is why. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds what? Finds awake when he comes. Because truly I say to you, he will address himself for service and have them. The master will dress himself for service and have his servants recline at table. And he will come and serve them. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Is our heart eager and awake, ready for the master? Or is it worried about life? Are we living scared? We should be eager to serve and to be good stewards of this life that God has given us. Because we serve a great God. In fact, he's so great, it says there, just like that master, he's going to serve us. That right there highlights how wonderful and loving God is in his character. So many of us, don't, they don't, we don't live our lives for the character of God. Instead, what happens is we live our lives for ourselves rather than having an eternal perspective. Having an eternal perspective is about looking forward to being in the eternal presence of God's loving character. Luke 12, 43-44, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Because truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. We sometimes think that in order to be a good servant that we have to worry and we have to be worried about you know, God coming and as much as we can do for the kingdom and all this and we're panicking kind of like you know, Mary and Martha a few chapters before but if we know the character of God there should be nothing to be worried about. We can work for his kingdom confident confident because we have a clear eternal perspective. Unfortunately, though, many of us live our lives like this in verses 45 through 46. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and the female servants and to eat and to drink and to get drunk, 
the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. We eat, we drink, we get drunk, we abuse others, we don't serve, we don't care about the life that God has given us, about the blessings that he's given us, about others. And that life is going to catch up to us. That's going to create problems. That life is not meaningful at all. And so for those who are living their lives like the rich fool, the invitation is for you in verse 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make every effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the very last penny. What's comforting is that Jesus paid that debt. Don't continue to live your life in debt and have to pay the eternal consequences. Don't live your life in worry and in fear. Instead, my encouragement to you is to have an eternal perspective, an eternal mindset, seeking his kingdom. That is what you want. That's the life that you want this morning, and you want to be baptized. Be baptized so he can wash away your sins. That's who you want this morning? And come forward now while we stand and we sing.